felt that uh, we need a little help this morning, maybe based on uh, our, our demonstration of our witnessing skills, so I'm glad you all showed up. Uh, just one administrative thing we need to finish before, uh, before we start. Uh, anyone, uh, we have to do the camp advisory voting, so if you have, advi- uh, if you have d- got your ballot, please hand it to the aisle. Brother Dan is volunteer to handle this aisle. And uh, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Can I have a volunteer to, Brother Rob, can you just handle that aisle? Anyone who hasn't, and bring it to Renee when they're done. And that's all I'll say about, uh... so please come on in, take a seat. I'd like to uh, get to the point where I'm getting your feedback. At some point, a little further on, we're going to do... We're going to start off talk, uh, giving us some advice, what we did wrong. We're going to go through a few principles. And I will be opening the floor for you to share some of your uh, experiences, good and bad, that uh, we can learn from. So just so you can start thinking about what you'd like to share when we get to that part of the, uh, the forum. Okay, so maybe we'll just start with a, a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have this chance to be together with our brothers and sisters from around the world, actually, and we can consider topics that are relevant and practical to our lives. Lord, we realize this is not about the wisdom of men, and we just pray that your Spirit would speak to our hearts, would prepare our hearts, would help us to, to internalize and learn and grow and actually apply these things, that we wouldn't just have heads full of knowledge, but, Lord, lies full of fruit. And we pray that you would be glorified in what we discussed today and what actually comes out of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, actually, can we have some lights for just a a few minutes here? Um, This is uh, our topic today is about uh, conversational approach to witnessing. I'm going to turn my pointer on here. And uh, the very first thing we want to do is, as as I, I was serious that I was looking for some some input from you. This is going to be a little more interactive. Based on uh, our wonderful demonstration that Annabelle and I gave this morning, what kind of things do you think we could have done better? What did we do wrong? Okay, go ahead. I got thick skin. That's why I'm good at these things. I know how to make a fool of myself. So go ahead. Tell me what I did wrong. Everything. Exactly. So let's itemize it so we can, uh, can make a point. What, what are some of the everythings that I did wrong? I was tell you mean I didn't listen to Annabelle at all? I was it was just all one sided. It was non personal. Okay, I didn't really see her as a person. I saw this as like, okay, I've got to do my duty. I wasn't confident, and I didn't know what I was talking about. Rom, oh, oh Romans, no. Uh, uh, let's. Well, uh, tell me, well, what do you mean by taking my eyes off the target? I was not looking at it. Bella, or? You have a personal connection. It's showing that you care. Okay. It's just like, oh, I'm going to get another one and make another notch on my belt. Mm-hmm. So, not only the eyes, also the body language. Okay. So, it definitely shifts it away from her as if you're, like, trying to get away. I was clearly showing that I was not confident. I was kind of afraid. This is something that, okay, I'm going to do it. Okay. Some other relevance, perhaps, at times, uh, in our church culture, but it's Are you talking about when they asked about what, uh, what my church was like? Yeah, what, what your church is like, you basically said some distinctions that won't help in your soul salvation. Um, that might be true, it's not like people are lying, mm-hmm. but it's not pointing them to Jesus. <laughs> right. So, when I talked about church... Uh, I was talking about uh, practices, but I wasn't really talking about Jesus. And that wasn't really helping them know uh, about God at all when I was talking about these specific practices. Very good. It wasn't relevant. Yeah, so you knelt down and like, got on your, well, not actually on your knees, but you are like praying over when you dropped a spoon or something like that. Did, did, I don't know if you got what I was doing there. I was kind of really, I didn't want Annabella to know that I was praying. So, so the whole spoon thing was, was a way of me being able to pray without her knowing I was praying. You know, that, that was the idea. Okay. 
Okay, okay, I copied Francis Chan. Francis Chan told me that's what he did before he... <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good learning experience. So now you know, if you want to pray, you know, and you don't want your... That, that, all you got to do is do the spoon trick. That's the point of this forum, today's forum. Okay, or is there a point about that? I lack conviction. I mean, you know, when I used to teach, they used to say, just tell them anything. Just as long as you say it with conviction, they'll believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they used to say when they used to teach. But. Okay, very good. True. <laughs> I think a lot of this can be kind of generalized as you weren't very genuine in how you approached her and what you were saying. Okay. We can't hear you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Brother John. We said that I lacked conviction and I wasn't very genuine in what I was saying. There was no love, no relationship, right? You sounded like you were trying to sell something, and it sounded like you didn't quite even really believe in what you were trying to sell. How could you tell that I really didn't believe it? Well, you were reading it off the phone. <laughs> okay, that was a big clue. Yes? Related to that, it, was just, it became way too complicated. So the, the words I was using... Okay, so first of all, it wasn't from the heart. It was read off the phone. Uh, the vocabulary. What was wrong with my vocabulary? <laughs> now, if I pronounced propitiation right, that would have worked, right? Everyone knows what propitiation is, right? <laughs> so what was wrong with the words? Okay, so I was using words that, you know, maybe we know in our circles because... We've grown up, but that's not going to be communicate to someone without that background, right? You can't even get Romans right. Yeah, Rom, yeah. Obviously, I read my Bible a lot, and I look up references a lot, right? So I wasn't very familiar with the Word of God. I was second-handing something that I learned in a forum. You know, I went to a forum like this, and I was hoping to get this, like, something to put on my phone, and then I've got a solution, right? I'll look it up, right? What? There's a problem with that, right? And it was almost like I, I, did, I didn't want to do this. I knew that, you know, well, you pushed me to this, so you're going to regret this, but okay, boom, right? It, there's some more things. I did a little more things wrong. Keep going. I think it's also when you, like, introduced that church, you were like, oh, we're conservative, and we're kind of like men in a church. Right. You didn't like... What should I have said? Okay. We're a Bible-based church? The point was, you know, the way I explained church, I just said that we're conservative and that we're kind of like Mennonites, but we don't drive, or we do drive cars. Um, so, so, right, okay, Amish. So um, I didn't even know my Mennonites. <laughs> yes, Yami. Did, did, did uh, Annabella know anything about me? Was I open about myself? Oh, never came up. Good thing, too. Because I'm embarrassed. Why would I be embarrassed? What do you think was going on in my head? Why was I afraid that this might come up? Maybe you weren't prepared. I wasn't prepared. But maybe, like, also you were never prepared, as in no one ever prepared you to be able to evangelize. There was no um, teaching you how to do this. Okay. There's, it's true that I obviously was not prepared to evangelize. I came out and how well I did it. But was there some other reason why I might be embarrassed about the fact that I go to church? And the fact that it never came up? Who are you? Are you really a Christian? Okay. But you were talking about church. Okay. Right. So, at one point, I was talking about, so first of all, it never came up. I think that's a problem, don't you think? Right? I was at a forum with, um, uh, okay, there you go, my brain, it's, it's Thursday. Um, the brother was talking about the peer ministry, his name is? Adam, Adam thanks. 
Uh, and he was talking about that when you squeeze an orange and apple juice comes out, there's a problem, right? And uh, that if you squeeze, uh, if people squeeze you and they don't get covered with Jesus, then there's a problem, right? And here, I don't think Annabella was getting a lot of orange juice out of me, right? This was like, oh, so you go to church? I didn't know, right? Obviously, my life didn't show that. She had no clue from my behavior. She had no clue from previous conversations, right? There's a, a, a disconnect with how much I'm sharing with her, how open I am with her. And my whole attitude is like, you know, this is personal. Nobody should know this, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I made the mistake of talking about religion, which is the opposite of what Jesus did when he was talking to the woman at the well. And I, uh, what was the second point? That was very good. Oh, re- yes, you're saying that uh, relationship uh, instead, right? And even when I was talking about, uh, went from church to, okay, here's the gospel, right? It was not personal in any way. It wasn't about what God has done, great things God has done for me. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Right. Very good. So I, I did, nothing came out of Annabella. It was one-sided. I was not at all interested in her. Right. Only as like, okay, check it off. Exactly. So the point was that there was no, I didn't look like I cared about Annabella, about her soul, about her salvation. And I was kind of being, I was being exactly what Joe's sermon was like, only if you make me. And she made me. Well, then she's going to get it. Boom, you're going to hell. Right? As far as for church, we worship the Almighty sent his son, Jesus, mm-hmm. personal Lord. Right. Not worry the conservatives. That's already red flag. Not going to your church. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm focused on people and not on, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not drawing the focus to Jesus Christ. Okay. Maybe two more comments, and we're going to get started. Even though you didn't seem interested in bringing sure you had a chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wasn't conservative enough. Okay. The point was that I should have been chaperoned. I was alone. With with woman, I was alone in a room of nine hundred people with a woman. Yes. I think that's true. The point was that I was, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't care about Annabella. I was really driven by fear or, or hampered by fear. Okay, let, let's keep going, and um, we're going to get opportunity for you to share maybe some positive examples or even negative examples of your own in a few minutes. So, right, there was the being embarrassed of praying. That was an obvious starting point, and I was covering up any sign that I was a Christian, right? Uh, embarrassed of my associated church, I didn't reflect Christ consistently enough for her, her to know about it. This comes from personal experience. I did that before I was converted. Um, explains church in terms of traditions rather than relationships. I explained the gospel in a defensive posture without referencing God's love at all. And, and, and you came up with a, you know, about 20 more very valid points. So we have, seem to have this barrier that's stopping us. I think there's a, a lot of people that I talk to about this subject, it's like I, I know that, um, that this is a, something that we wish we could do better. We wish that we could come out more naturally in conversation that we would share Christ. <laughs> it seems that uh, I remember reading a, a book once about... Um, about witnessing, and it kind of described this kind of culture of rabbit hole Christianity, where, you know, I go to school, and I scurry, and I sit with my Christian friends, and then I go to lunch with my 
Christian friends, and then I go to my evening activity with my Christian friends, and I'm just, and then I have to like run through enemy territory and avoid any uh, contact with people who might not know Christ because I perceive them as a threat, right? And I'm, I'm the prey, and they're the, the predator, if you will. And so there's this whole attitude of fear, of, and, and not only of them, but our, our background, you know, is maybe pietistic. It's like my relationship with God is very personal, you know. And, and certainly, you know, my parents' generation, it wasn't something you really talked about, your relationship with God and, and how that worked. And it was something very private. And so being able to even have the words and, you know, cross this invisible barrier. There's nothing really stopping me, but it's in my mind... You know, this is something that is private, and I, it's not for other people to share. They might trample on it. These are the pearls, right? You know, rather than salt, it's pearls that I don't want them to trample, right? And am I really understanding that scripture correctly? Um, I, I might be afraid of ridicule, right? And I probably should be ridiculed for how I, how I did that, but uh, I remember that that's what hampered me um, in why I can relate to some of those things that, when before I was, well, even after I had come to Christ, or but, you know, I had this fear of what other people thought, and so I tried to chameleon fit in to the various uh, groups, whether it was, you know, there was the partier group at work, and the intellectual at this end of school, and the artsy guys at this end of school, and I just tried to fit in out of fear of ridicule, and then, you know, when I, God convicted me that I had to stand up, it's like, oh, you're a Christian, I had no idea, that, that actually happened to me, um, and God, but when God convicted me to stand up, there was a, I had to have integrity. And so this fear of ridicule is a big thing. And one other thing that you don't often think about when it comes to, to fear, oh, I guess there's also the fear, I didn't put this up here, but it kind of came up in conversation, is that the fear of what do I say? How can, I, I may even want to share the gospel, I may care about them, but I don't know how to put it into words. I don't know how to communicate these things. I know how to say propitiation and the blood of Christ, and I know how to phrase it like I hear it from the pulpit every Sunday, but I don't know how to put it into words that my friends will actually understand and how to explain it in their terms, right? And finally, the, the fear is... Um, in reality, it's never uh, like, okay, I've done it. I've given you the gospel. What do you think? You know, my responsibility is over. You know, in real life, when you share the gospel, you're actually getting involved in someone's life. There's a commitment involved. You need to follow through. There's a relationship that needs nurturing. And that's not a one conversation thing, right? It's, a, it's something that's going to get, uh, um, you, my mother will tell you, you know, how many times she had friends over for dinners and, and how she got involved in, 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 and it wasn't just a one-time thing. So there's a commitment involved. It, I, I was just thinking this week, it was probably a good thing I didn't have friends when I was involved in witnessing my church friends because I had lots of relational bandwidth because you need it. You need to get involved and it's going to take, make some changes. So really this invisible barrier is fear, right? And we know that we need to fear the Lord. He's not a tame lion as uh, came out in the Freeman Forum yesterday afternoon. But he tells us, you know, when I walk even through the valley of the shadow of evil, I will fear no evil because he is with me. And really, this fear barrier, right, is not glorifying God. We are not living the way he wants to, and we sense that inside. When he, we heard the brother from PNG who came all the way you know, those thousand miles, when he said go, we all sense that we are not going the way we should, and the real barrier is fear, and we need to overcome that barrier. Now, the most, this is probably what you think of when, when you think of when you're being asked to evangelize, you think, oh, this means I'm going to become like this, like, you know, the scenario one here, you know, you're going door to door, right? You ring the doorbell, they open it, and boom, you shove it down their throat. Or even if that's not your approach, you're pretty sure that's how you're going to be perceived. The second you say the word church, they're going to associate with someone who does shove the Bible down your throat. Or, you know, you think that this means that when I'm 
sharing the gospel that, you know, people are going to think I'm one of these turn or burn, uh, the end is near, and proclaiming it on the street corners. And, and you know, this is just going to turn people off. This is going to be some kind of uh, wear it on your heart, on your sleeves, and, and just, you know, this is not the type of... Uh, presentation that's going to win anyone to Christ is going to kind of reinforce a stereotype that is already turning people away from Jesus. So that's this kind of a fear we have. Yes. Is, it, is the barrier more fear or is it perhaps a lack of love? The question is, is the barrier fear or a lack of love? So the, the, the comment was that really it's a lack of love and we love ourselves more than we love the other person. We, we're more in, uh, afraid of what's going to happen to us or we're in love with ourselves, right? And the scripturally, right, as you're pointing out, perfect love casteth out fear. So those are, that's the same question. Right, I do have fear, but if I loved, it would cast it out, just like Christ loved. Cast it out. Uh, I guess there's one more comment that uh, Justin had, and maybe I'll get uh, these strong young men to exercise their muscles here. Uh, yeah. uh, hello. Oh, sure. Um, along those same lines, too, about you know the perfect love casting out fear. I've, I mean, I've been blessed where I've seen that relate those relationships turn people and draw them closer to Christ, just like right on my campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard like a great quote from one of my friends that he read somewhere is that a light shines, it doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. You know, Christ's love is what changes us. You know, the words that we say, people can know facts all day about Christianity. They can know that they're a sinner. They can know that sin is bad. They can know, you know, accept Jesus. You know, I knew this stuff before I believed. But did it make me saved? No. Once I understood Christ's love for me on a personal level, level, then I started getting changed. And that's the importance of, for us, having that integrity and discipline to go to God like every day and to seek out his power and love so he can flow through us. Because when it's his love flowing through us, people see that and they change. I've seen the most stark atheists, homosexuals, flat out against Christianity, people right at my school and one of them even told me, I don't go to religious things, I don't like religious things, but I'll do it for you guys. And what they don't understand is it's not us, but it's Christ's love that's flowing through us that they see, and they want to come because of that. You know, all glory to God, it's just what he's done in us that they could even have that relationship. And it, then sometimes the words can help, but it's the love first. Okay, excellent. So... Uh, you all heard that, thankfully. Um, now, just as a counterpoint, I, I totally agree with every word you said, and you know it's testified by results. But one of the questions I get is, well, it's so important that our lives are consistent, you know, and that's really maybe in the previous generation you always get the question, well, isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to just be that example? So the question is, isn't presence evangelism enough? I was trying to do an object lesson. <laughs> I'm here. I'm present with you. You know, I love you. I'd like to have a relationship with all of you. I have some knowledge about the subject. Maybe, maybe well, But it's not coming out, is it? You can't even read the board because I'm blocking Wesley's view. So... There's a problem with presence evangelism. It's critical. If that's not there, you know, hypocrisy is way worse than, not, than saying something and not living it is the worst case, right? But living it and not saying it is not effective, just as it would not be effective for me to stand here and be present, right? Yes, Barbara. I don't know if we can just run that. Sorry. Presence evangelism actually gives credit to yourself. 
mm. and not to God. And I think that's one of the key reasons why it doesn't really work, especially in this crazy day where there are so many different gods, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad you all heard that. And we're, we're going to get back to that point in a minute because there's this balance. We don't want to get derailed. And in this idea of conversational evangelism, there's really two, two rails that this train is running on. One is the content of the gospel that needs to be communicate, and the other is the incarnation of that gospel in our lives. And really, either one, both are essential. Without one of the rails, the train will go off the tracks, right? So we're going to need some interaction here if the, the mics are ready. So the content. We need to be able to communicate the gospel verbally, at least at some point, okay? Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this diagram. Can someone here, you know, attempt to communicate it without using the word propitiation? Uh, what this diagram is communicating. Hey, volunteers, go ahead. So here, here's a volunteer, brave volunteer. Come on. Okay. As the song said, there's a cross that bridges the great divide. Tell me, you know, would that be enough for your friend? You know, I, I mean, okay, this is fake, but, you know, tell me more. How can you put this into words that your friends can understand? And what, what needs to be there? There's a divide. Why is there a divide? Okay, God is holy. We are, we are sinful. We're separated from him. What, 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 what is the basics you need to share? Go ahead. Was that a... Man and God are separated. Man and God are separated. Separated by... Right. And then... The only way to reconnect is Jesus. Why? Because he died for us. Right, he died for our sins. He paid the penalty that we should have paid. We had an excellent Bible class this morning. Um, Matt was teaching it, and we were talking about the blood of Christ. And how do you communicate that to someone who has no context, no Christian context, right? And we realized that, you know, that's an answer to a need that people still need to understand. And to understand that need, we need to communicate this concept of sin. And it's not a popular concept, right? You know, that's really the touchy thing when you're going to hit a sore point and you're going to get this, hey, you're judging me, right? And that's where you need to, but the truth is that everyone has a sense of right and wrong. They're, they're, they're quick to tell you that they are offended and they feel something's wrong when someone steals their stuff or does whatever. So we need to be able to communicate the problem and the solution. And you and I think it needs practice. I remember, uh, you know, with my friends at school, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't even baptized yet, and I didn't know all the answers, um, as I, you know, it, but, you know, I had to be able to say the word, get the gospel out. I, I, I did an, is an English essay, it was, you know, and how am I going to put this way? Of course, my English professor didn't accept it and went into this whole thing about reason and faith and, you know, but... I had to be able to communicate that. And it was hard work for me to take words that I'd only heard in church and communicate to people who wouldn't know those words. And so I want to challenge you to actually do that. If you have to do it to a mirror to practice, go ahead. But I challenge you that you do take the time to be able to express the core of the gospel in words that everyone can understand. And then I remember at work, now I've got this whole professional dynamic going on and this whole worldview, all these assumptions that people have. Can I communicate the gospel to this person who's coming from this, you know, all is, all, everyone is okay and, and uh, liberal mindset? You know, I need to be, practice to do that. So there is importance that you take the time. One comment here before we move on. One objective I've heard about, when you define sin, you have to have a standard. And there's always a, 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 some pushback. What is the standard? In this moralist, I mean, this relativistic society that we live, you know, everybody's saying, well, that's your standard. How do I know that that's an objective standard to judge everyone by? Because one culture says, you know, love your enemy, and another culture says it's okay to eat your enemy. 
Right. But I, I, I think, you know, everyone agrees that, you know, someone who steals your iPod is doing you a disservice, and they're upset about that, you know, even, with, even if they're a relativist, right? And so they have this sense, and there may be minor variations whether we eat our enemies or not, but uh, the reality is that there's people, the Ten Commandments are pretty, you know, much agreed on, and if we can get people to take, if they can just judge themselves by the standard they judge someone else, don't use anyone else's frame of reference, but their own moral frame of reference, they already know they fall short of their own moral frame of reference before we even go to the Bibles, right? Um, one more comment, uh, oh, and then Mark, and then we're going to move on. Um, I'm hearing a lot of I. This is not about us. Mm-hmm. This is about God working through us. And the minute we take the I out, he will give you the words, and he will put you in the right place at the right time. You know, we were talking about, like you said before in Bible class, about God's blood. A lot of people don't understand why would a man go on a cross, get beaten up, bleed for me? Mm-hmm. Who am I? You know, people don't understand that kind of love. Mm-hmm. And that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. You know, for people to see who you really are, you have to show love. And how do you show love? Because God helps you. It's not anything we're doing. Mm-hmm. Because the minute you say, oh, me or I, or I'm going to do and I'm going to go, no. Right. You're already wrong right there. That's true. Very good. And it's that focus and I that, that uh, leads us to fear. Mark had a comment, and then I'm going to move on. Um, Non-Christians that we, that we come in contact with um, already are coming to the table with their own worldview. They have a way that they look at the world, the way that they understand right and wrong. And I, I have found it more effective to do more asking and probing about their worldview. And then God will reveal to me, you know, to be able to point out some of the holes in, in what their, their thoughts are, what their, what their view is. Because we, we do believe that, that this is truth. And I think God can reveal to us how to express that to somebody, but we must first understand what their perspective is. Mm-hmm. And we can, hopefully with the Lord's help, help them to understand that it is going to fall short. But we have to do more asking than we have to do telling. Excellent. I really appreciate that point uh, about coming from the context of their worldview. I, I've had this uh, friend at, at work. He's, um, he, he's uh, from Eastern philosophy, the pantheistic philosophy and you know just we get lunch and just kind of going through and understanding at its core there's some things in there even in that philosophy that you know that that really tie back to the gospel and I can always go from his worldview and tie it to the gospel but I need to listen to him in order to to understand where he's thinking and go from there and we see Jesus doing the same thing now to be fair I put this up as a bit of a caricature as well. Like, if you look at this um, figure, this this great artistry that I, I put in there, I'm sure you all can see that I've got a lot of gifts there. Um, uh, can you recognize that as uh, as what? What 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 is this the squiggly thing here? Man, so it's got it's got the outline of man. It's got two arms, a head, two legs, but it doesn't have any flesh on it. It's really not something that you can really relate to. And sometimes using this, uh, Brother Vic had an afternoon forum where he called this the, uh, it's, it's typically known as the, the four spiritual laws, he called it the four shortcuts, because he felt that it was a bit of a shortcut. You know, okay, I, we just in our Hellenistic mind, okay, this is all you need to know when you're saved, you know, as opposed to, you know, fleshing it out with more, right? So we are a bit, uh, we are reducing something, that God's redemptive plan, which in our Bible class we said, you know what? We can't really explain the mechanism of how Christ's blood really saves us and how the whole redemption, we can use big words and maybe we fool people into thinking we know what it means when we use the word propitiation, but do we really understand? No, we ourselves don't understand, right? So, so we need to allow for some mystery here and the, not to, to think we can reduce things to a stick figure. Right, the incarnational rail. Um, so here's uh, George Hunter, someone who kind of studied missiology or you know, evangelism or whatever you want to call it for, for his college. And he, he came up with the, this observation. He said that 
Conversion typically results from a chain of experiences. The significant number of ex uh, the number of significant experiences is typically about 30 links. So there, there's, it's not just usually this one encounter. Okay, Annabella heard the gospel. She falls on her knees, and we're done. Uh, usually, there is a series of relationships. There's a number of interactions. And we need to see, you know, as Justin was saying, you know, even the most hardened person, when they see embodied the love and the reflection of Jesus in those relationships, that's when, you know, even though philosophically they may have a problem, they see something that they know is true. So that incarnation is there. That's, that's very critical. And if we don't live it, if we don't reflect it, you know, there's not going to be any attractive power. Now, the two pathologies we've kind of referenced, and I think you've already brought it out yourself, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You know, what happens when um, I've got the content, but I don't have the incarnation, right? You know, you can see that, you know, people are going to see, oh, you're you even said it. You know, she's just a project. She's a notch on my gun. I gotta, I'm going to check it off. I've, I've given her the gospel. I've done my duty with her, you know. Or, you know, even if I'm going to do it right and I'm going to give her the right content, you know, there's still a danger that, you know, she's my project. And there's no real relationship there. Um, she's going to feel judged. She's going to feel uh, that I'm really, it's, a, it's about, as Yami was saying, it's about me. And uh, when it's all about the content, right? As opposed to pointing to Christ. And I know something that they don't. And on the other side, right? We miss the other rail. <clears throat> what happens there, right? So now I've, I've got the relationships. I, I'm really good with people. But I'm light on the content, right? We're, what's the problem there, right? Now our goal is to lead people to dependence on Christ and not on ourselves. And, and Barbara was mentioning that already, that uh, when we assume that my presence is enough, right, you know, we think that we are the source, right? And God's had to humble me too about that, you know, that he really is the sovereign God and he's working in people's lives. I remember, you know, with Alan Jarveen was um, one of the first uh, who really responded. And, um, you know, he came from a different background, you know, his you know, had, didn't, didn't have a church background, and there was lots of baggage. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to have to spend time. I'm going to have to explain things. It's all foreign to him. And, like, with two, within two months, you know, he was sharing, you know, uh, the exact same conversion experience I had because it's the same Holy Spirit. And, you know, I had assumed that I was important in this transmission, but really, you know, I need to point him to Christ, and Christ is going to do the work. Um, not, not only is that important with the context of, you know, making sure we point them to Christ and the gospel, we also shouldn't assume that, you know, it, it, it's important and it's good incarnationally to make sure you have a relationship that you don't say, okay, I, my goal is to just put them in church and now, you know, the church will convert them just like they converted me. But on the opposite side, it can be like, you know, you know, I'm going to shelter them from the church. You know, I'm going to be everything they need to express the whole body of Christ to this person, right? And that's a bit of a, you know, an ego trip there. I need to also allow the rest of the body. And in my experience, that really worked out well. When I did bring people to church, other people, the Denzingers and others, surrounded them with love, and they felt that experience in community because Christianity is intended to be in community, and they're not going to see community with just you. Okay? Nate wanted to say something there. Go ahead. Um, I don't like mics, but... You don't want mics? No, they make me Sorry, nervous, you have to love everyone, but... even the mics in the world. <laughs> okay. Um, something that I found in my own life, this is going kind of back to um, uh, when you're witnessing to other people who have different worldviews, um, and you kind of start off there. One thing that I'm having the struggle is, like, how do you... Do you work... Uh, in someone in a systematic way where first you work with their worldview and as soon as, like let's say if they're an atheist now you got to work with them through like a scientific aspect till they become a theist and then, um, and then from that point on then you know where they believe in God then you got to explain to them the reliability of scripture and once they believe the scriptures are true then you move on to the gospel like I don't know like to me there's that like do you, do you go through such a systematic step or, or 
and there is importance for that, mm-hmm. but how does that work within sharing the gospel with other people? Right. Because it is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel that has that power. Right. A very, very good question. I'm glad you all heard that. Gary, did you want to answer that? Okay, sure. I, I've spent some time doing some street evangelism <clears throat> and still you know, plan to do that once in a while. You don't necessarily always have time to develop relationships. But as you had mentioned early in an earlier slide, there are links along the chain. You mm-hmm. don't know where you are in their chain. Mm-hmm. And at times, uh, earlier in our class, I think Brother Scott coined this term, we have to give faith a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. We can't prove everything. We can't go through a, a five-week study on scientific things and uh, what I found when I started talking to people, within a minute, you can generally tell whether they're interested or not. Some would say, I'm not interested at all. I don't want to talk about this. They're not open to the gospel. You don't need to keep trying to talk about it. Mm. Others can start asking some really thoughtful questions because they're, they're not at the first link. They're at link 29. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, sometimes I've had you know, long conversations with people, very thoughtful, um, because... God had already prepared their heart. So we have to find the people that God has prepared their heart and work in whatever context they are in at that right. time. Right. And, and uh, it's, it's not like there is a linear progress that everyone makes. Yes, we can make an argument for Christianity based on there must be a God because of this evidence. The Bible must be reliable because of this evidence. You know, the resurrection proves that Jesus, you know, therefore you need to deal with Jesus. I mean, there is, our faith is reasonable. But that doesn't mean that you argue people into the kingdom by following that progress of logical ideas. Because especially nowadays, people, there's a lot of people that that aren't working logically. And, you know, there are different points of the chain. And Yesterday, we had an interesting class where we kind of talked about how truth is actually beyond material. It's actually spiritual. And, and for me to think that, I, that, that at some point, it, it, you know, we do need to connect them with the spiritual, and they're going to make that leap. But apologetics has its point, has its, has its, has its role, not as you know, I assumed when I went to university and I learned about logic, and I thought, okay, now I've got a tool. I can use this tool to argue anyone into the kingdom. That's not the point of apologetics. Now, there are people who have, and you can tell how a genuine problems, you know, I'm meeting people from China, and they have, you know, they have genuine questions, right? You know, they've been taught atheism their whole life, and they don't understand that, you know, there's a reasonable evidence that there is a God. You know, I can help them clear some of the barriers, but they have to come to the cross, and, and that's where we want to need to bring them to. So apologetics is good to, to deal with reason, uh, genuine, heartfelt questions, until we can get to the, the, the personal response, because that's usually where, where, where people are, are at. Um, okay, so we, we need to be careful that we don't make the human relationship itself the end goal, right? That, you know, it's all about having this close relationship with this person, uh, then I don't want to jeopardize it by actually talking about sin or you know, things like that. Or, you know, I, I don't want to bring in the content because it might jeopardize the relationship, right? And I may make compromises in order to preserve the relationship. Okay, I'll go along to, you know, the bar or whatever. Or, you, know, you know, worst case, you know, you can think of missionary dating. You know, I, I'll make compromises in order to maintain the relationship and I'm not being true to the truth, right? Okay. Uh, enough about our examples. Let's look at the ultimate example, which is Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ teach us about conversational evangelism? We can all think about the one conversation that's recorded in Scripture, at least one of them. There's a few. Uh, but the one at the, of the woman at the well. And what can we learn from Jesus as he uh, was having a conversation with the woman at the well? Let's start off that, first of all, He's having a conversation with the woman at the well, right? He was crossing major social uh, uh, barriers to do that, you know, both uh, racial and gender and so on. You know, do, do I, am I willing to meet needs and, and speak to people that are different than I am, right? And to get involved with people that are different than I am and get vulnerable with people that are different than I am. Right? What if God calls me to do that? And usually, that's often when you get response to the gospel. It's not always with an affluent, uh, white, suburban person right, who may have be under the illusion that their needs are met, but you know, there's certainly lots of opportunities there. But 
we need to be willing to, to cross those boundaries and get out of our comfort zone and stop worrying about, well, what are people going to think, right? He started off, he connected with her immediate need, her physical need. Um, and, but he didn't allow himself to get trapped with just meeting those physical needs. His vision was something beyond that. He used that as an entry point, to, to not, not as a gimmick, but uh, to, to show real compassion. He healed people. He, he met real needs, but he didn't leave it at that, right? Uh, and I remember when we started uh, our, our ministry in the inner city, well, Dennis was, uh, Den- Delic was doing that in inner city Toronto, you know, the government wanted us to get into a um, breakfast club for the kids because they go to school hungry and they can't learn, right? And now the government started resisting us because they knew we had an agenda that we wanted to present the gospel. And it actually worked out for good that they blocked us from using their building to do this breakfast club. And then we just ended up having a Bible study for whoever was interested in. We retrofitted one of Dennis's uh, storage rooms and... Uh, and then we got to the real human need where, you know, these young men were looking and starving for male role models. And there was actual spiritual impact. And I'm thinking, I'm glad God closed the door. Because if we had just, just been there to minister to the physical and never gotten the spiritual, I don't think we would have had nearly the result. Um, Jesus wasn't afraid to get to the sticky, touchy point about sin right? He pointed out that she was a sinner. Now, did he do that in a very overt way? Did he say, you're a sinner and you need me? No, he came at it in a very oblique way, a sensitive way, one that respected her dignity, one that, that uh, you know, showed that he valued her, one that didn't demean her and, and, and show that he was judging her. But he didn't avoid the heart of the question that there was a need in her life, right? Um, when he addressed that question, he didn't fall into the trap of, you know, my skit where I said, you know, we sit separately and we don't pay our ministers. And he didn't get in, you know, she, she wanted to go there. That was the first thing when she was, oh, this is about religion. Okay, I've got this burning religious question we debated all the time. Which mountain do we pray on? You know, Mount, uh, you know, this one, Gerizim, or, or the one in Jerusalem, right? She wanted to go there, and he didn't allow himself to get trapped into religion. And um, one question, one comment on that quickly. Okay, I'm going to go along those lines, and I'll say that when Jim and I met at work, he was a Catholic. He never owned a Bible. They did not encourage learning the Scripture on your own. Uh-huh. I we came um, we came from Serbia, Yugoslavia, and in church and in our home, it was all rules. It was, you dress like this, you look like this, we do this, we don't do this. We... And my parents, in their simplistic understanding, because they weren't converted early on, um, that's, that was how we obeyed God, that was how we honored God, that's how we honored our parents. And so when I, when I was trying to witness to Jim... I let him know that he had to get rid of his rock and roll albums, couldn't go to concerts anymore, burn your T-shirts. If you're going to come to church, you're going to sit on the men's side. If you're going to do this, that's how really I started it, in my simplistic understanding. Right. And I don't apologize for it because mm-hmm. regardless of how ignorant I was at the time or how simple I took the gospel, simply I took the gospel, right. God... Yes. Worked through that, mm-hmm. beyond that, and, and, and fulfilled his needs. And what I ended up doing was I bought him a Bible, and I, because I wouldn't, we didn't go anywhere alone. I mean, mm-hmm. there were a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would sit in his car, and I sat on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. and I talked to him. And then um, I bought him a Bible, and I said, regardless of where you go to church, if you come to mine or wherever you go, you need to read about Jesus, find out why he came and what you're going to do about it. Uh-huh. And that's all I told him. And, and the ultimate thing, and I'll tell you what saved all eight of us, uh-huh. is my parents on their knees every morning. Amen. So if you just get a chance to say hello, and it's, 
and, and just a few words, mm-hmm. remember to pray for that person. Mm-hmm. And God, <laughs> whatever little understanding you have, you ask the Holy Spirit to do the work. So it's mighty, and it, it'll, it'll just, it'll complete anything that you could not do correctly. All right. Thank you so much. That's so true that, you know, we can come across the illusion that if we just get it right, it's going to work. And really, it's up to the Holy Spirit to do. Um, now, the climax, uh, so, so Jesus avoided the mountain issue. He went to worshiping in spirit and in truth, Right. And we need to make sure we get to that relational aspect with the Lord. And that was his climax. He, he brought her to the point of the revelation of Jesus. I am he. Right? And um, so I think we can learn a lot from the principles from Jesus. Now, now, one thing is you're not Jesus. Okay? One thing Jesus could do that you can't do is that he could say, well, you've had five husbands, but the woman you now, or the man you're now with is not your husband. He knew things, right? And he could do that in one conversation because he was Jesus. You can't, right? So you look like the person who sleeps around. It's not going to work, okay? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So you need to listen, 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 right? Because you need to be able to hear and understand the real needs and the context and, and where the heart is and where the thirst is in order to, uh, uh, we had a missionary forum and, and Vic Schlatter says, you know, one thing he learned, you know, in his preparation for mission group missions that really helped him is uh, someone who, who, who had commented, the problem with you missionaries is you always scratch where it doesn't itch. Right, and so you know we need to. Be, if we're not listening, we're going to be very ineffective. <laughs> okay, you have to. You know, people only care what you know until they know that you care, right? Okay, I work in software uh, as a programmer, and you know we keep trying to raise levels of abstraction in order to be more effective. You know, we're used to actually fiddle with switches, ones and zeros, and then we programmed in ones and zeros and typed them in, and then we had like little. You know, words that stood for ones and zeros, but you know, we're trying to get levels of abstraction. That, and the most highest level we have now is is patterns. You know, we have patterns that tend to work for solving certain problems. Okay, and and we get that from God because God is the one who said, you know, after the pattern in heaven, you know, you after the pattern I showed you in the mountain, that's the way you should work. He he gives us patterns that work, and actually, the ultimate pattern is the one we just looked at, the pattern of Jesus Christ. Right. So if this is a pattern of, you know, how God reached the world and saved it. Can someone explain what this means? It's not complicated. Okay. Well, the fact that uh, my poor writing says that there's a big gap between your head and Christ, yeah. Um, I, there was no symbolic, symbology there. I'm not as nearly, I'm not a David Awe, obviously, right? I don't have a lot of hidden symbolism here. But does anyone know Romans 10, 14? <clears throat> right? As I put the scripture in there to compensate for my lack of artistry, right? It says that, you know, how can they know except someone be sent? So this gap here is not sin. <laughs> you're not bridging the sin gap, but you're bridging the ignorance gap, Right? The fact that they will not know, and the lost will not know about Christ if you, maybe the only person in life, is going to bridge that gap for them. So there's a pattern here where just as Christ is the bridge between the lost and the holy God, uh, you are a bridge between the lost and Christ. Now, if you're a bridge, the whole point of a bridge is to be able to bridge a gap and get you safely from one side to the other. So, uh, what do you think about this bridge here? Is this bridge an effective bridge? Yeah, it looks like a long way to swim. Right. So, what happens if I'm only connected to one side? Let's say I'm really connected to the lost. I've got relationships. I'm a really good at that, which is obviously not true of me. And, you know, I, I just know how to connect with people. I understand them. They like me. But I don't have a good connection with Christ. How does that work? Not well, right? How about the other side? You know, I'm really in tune with the Lord. 
I, I have great morning devotions. I, I know his him and I know the scripture and uh, I, I really love him, you know, but I don't have any relationships or any connection with anybody that's lost. Am I going to be an effective evangelist? Oh, so a bridge has to be connected to both ends. It doesn't work otherwise, right? And so we need to think about that because I think sometimes we are connected on one end, right? Uh, uh, Tim, can you just give us a lot on the mic? I also see that we have to learn not to drop anybody. Mm. We haven't uh, succeeded maybe in a day or two or whatever it may be, and we give up on them. Uh, first of all, we should never give up praying for anybody, maybe even praying until they find their soul salvation, mm-hmm. but simply pray that God would give us the strength and always guide us. Maybe where we went initially is not exactly where he wanted us to go, but not to drop them. And I speak out of experience, too. Thank you so much. I, I, that's another aspect of the bridge I hadn't considered, right? What if this bridge, you know, tends to collapse once in a while, you know? Gets you across sometimes, sometimes, you know, it just gives way. It, it's not a bridge you're going to want to take, so we shouldn't drop people. Excellent point. Um, what do you think about this bridge? Right? So uh, here's, you know, here's the worst case, right? Where you think you're a bridge and you think you connect things, but you're not even connected to the Christ or the lost. And maybe if I think I'm really connected to the Christ and I think I have the heart of God and I'm not connected to the lost, am I really connected to God's heart? Right? So we need to make sure that that bridge doesn't represent us. <clears throat> Yeah, letter I in the middle of the bridge, right? Because it's really about me and my comfort. So there's a quote here out of the book, Out of the Salt Shaker, uh, where um, Becky says, If you live by the same priorities and values that he had, you'll find evangelism happening naturally. It becomes a lifestyle and not a project, right? Uh, when I, I went to Argentina for about six and a half months, I was in... Uh, we had a Bible school down there. I was with Karen Caballero. She was my classmate. Um, and um, most of the things I learned there, I had already learned in camp and forums and Bible classes. I understood a lot of the, the material. The one that I would probably, I learned the most was the course on evangelism. And it really helped that we actually, every Saturday went out and Sunday, went out and did it. And then we, for two months, we actually went into a city and did it. So that, that really helped. But in the actual course itself, this was a quote that I remember really hitting me and connecting with me where they said, you know, if, if you're really full of Christ, then how can it not come up in conversation, right? And just like uh, I was quoting Adam Kaczynski, you know, if, how can it if not come out of you? And so... It's really not an optional thing, like sometimes we think that, well, you know, he's gifted, I'm not. You know, sure, not everyone is going to be an evangelist and go to Papua New Guinea or go out in street evangelism and so on. But everyone, if you're talking to them, the fact that Annabelle didn't know I was a Christian is a problem, right? The fact that it never came up, well, whose fault was that, right? Obviously, it wasn't that important to me. It's not something that my life is really full of if I can avoid talking about it. Right, And uh, back to the point that was being made about uh, the Holy Spirit. I think people came to this forum thinking, oh, you know what? If I go to this forum, you know, I'm going to learn how to have, be good at having conversational evangelism. I'm going to learn some useful abilities, techniques, starting points. And really, that's not how it worked for me. And I don't think it's going to really work for you. I don't think you're going to be able to get something on your phone when you're done here. Um, really, what you need is like to be connected at that end of the bridge. You really need that dependency on the Holy Spirit. Um, as I said, I was, this was not something that came natural to me. I was, I was, you know, I was weak at both ends of the bridge. And, um, and when, when God convicted me and said, you know, you cannot continue to say, oh, yeah, I, um, you know, I know, thanks for inviting me to the party, but I've, I've got other priorities, or i got a commitment, you know. And God says, you're not being real, you're not being honest, you're not, you are hiding, and uh, you're not having integrity. 
And when by being open and real with the person, you know, that's when, okay, we'll move on. You get the point that, that we really need to depend on prayer because I remember that, that the exciting part about when I'm praying and God shows me, you know, who to talk to and so on. We, we need to get to that dependence. Um, and we heard uh, the great thing uh, Joe was preaching on that, you know, you think, okay, but, but you know, I don't know how, what to say. I don't know what words to use. You've already kind of pointed out all these insecurities that I can relate to them all. Um, I don't know. I can't do this. I'm, I'm not equipped, right? And, you know, Brother Joe was saying in the, in the sermon about uh, the demoniac who had, you know, just been full of demons, like a legion of them, five minutes ago, right? I don't know how, you know, if anyone was far from God, you know, I don't think you can get much further, right? And he wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what? You are equipped. You have everything you need to go and tell what great things God has done for you. Uh, to the, those friends and neighbors. And when Jesus came back, you know, they rejected him and says, please leave, you know, we lost enough pigs over you. They wanted to get rid of Jesus, right? And, but when he came back, they actually did welcome and receive him. And he had an effective ministry because of one person who had a story. And so if any of you have had an experience with God, that's enough for you to share, right? And that is personal. It's not reading off a phone, Rom 3.23, it's really, you know, this is what God did for me. Now, one thing about stories, right? Sometimes when we share our testimonies, we tend to share it a very experiential, existential point of view. You know, I was sitting at camp, and I felt this, and then I felt that, and then I felt this, and oh, this. And it was all about my experience through that process. And if you share that story with people... Are they really going to get the gospel? Are they going to understand about sin and salvation and the cross and the blood of Christ, right? We need to make sure, and that was part of that Peniel evangelism course, is that everyone had to come up and take turns. They had to tell their personal story and make sure the gospel was in it. So I want to leave that with you as a challenge. You know, can you share your testimony and make sure that people will understand the gospel after they've heard your testimony? Um... I'm rushing a little bit because I just realized that we're almost out of time. Um, I did want to give... Uh, is it 12.40? Okay. 12.35. You're saying I've got five more minutes. Oh, it's the, oh they made that fast because they knew I was going to be in this room. Okay. Johnny, did you have something to do with that? Oh, he's gone already. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I'm good. We're just going to wrap up with a skit, but I just want to give a couple people really want to share a few things. If you have a few uh, testimonies to share, and then uh, we're going to wrap up. Nate's been wanting to say something for a while. Um, it's just a question, question with what I saw on the one slide. Is it so much the right words at the right time, or is it God, the Holy Spirit, working in the heart of that person? Both. Okay, who, who gives me the right words at the right time? Is God, the Holy Spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit, has to be preparing them. Otherwise, you know, I'm putting unto... Right, right. So I, I, the answer is both, right? I, I cannot come up, it's not my wisdom coming up with the right words at the right time because everyone's unique, right? Uh, and uh, uh, Tim, can you give Barbara the phone? The phone. Would it help if at church we spoke more of common English so that we would hear those words a little bit more often and also at testimonies? that we help uh, the converts to be able to give a testimony that includes the gospel story in simple language. Because unfortunately, as a previous messenger reporter, not anymore, um, I find that Jesus is, may not even be mentioned ever. And that's, to me, a problem. Yes. So... uh point was that we should really practice sharing our experience with each other in, in common, common English uh, with, without reference to, you know, our, our own special vocabulary. And also when we share our testimonies that we do that. Okay, I think we better go to our, our, uh, our skit. And I think there's wonderful testimonies here. I think, you know, if we leave behind, I, I'm going to give an opportunity for people to share. I know that their people have a schedule. So I promised you if we just cut the lights... Um, we did try to do it right. And, uh...
Hey, Edmund. Hey, Annabella. You know, I was just going to pray for my meal, but I thought of something. I, you know, last time you were telling me about your mother and, you know, the trials she's going, the, the medical challenges she's having, and I was wondering if you'd be open to this, you know, could I just pray with you uh, for your mom at the same time? You know, I, I don't really believe in God, but, I mean, it can't hurt. Sure, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just are just amazed at, at your power and yet how you care for us individually. And, Lord, we know that you care about Annabella and her mother. We just pray that you would please help her to, um, to uh, get better and that you give Annabella the courage and the strength to, and the, to support her at this time. We want to thank you for the blessing of this food and for this time we have a chance to, to share together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, thank you so much for thinking of her. Um, it kind of gives me a little bit more hope and, and peace through this situation. Yeah, you know, that's the amazing thing about God is that he's, he, he is personal, right? And that he actually cares about things. I, that, that always blows my mind when I think about that. Have you ever thought of God as a personal God? No, I, I, really, I, I really haven't thought of him as, as a personal God. Um, growing up in my parents' mainline Christian church, I just always felt like God was, you know, kind of out there, abstract, and only the most spiritual could connect with him. Right, I think that, that's a common experience. But, you know, for me, not, not only do I see God's personal touch in the way he answers prayers, where he communicates with me, but also in what he did for me, you know, that he actually loved me enough to, to send his son to, to die in my place. You know, it's, it's amazing that I can find a way to be free from all my guilt and shame through, through his sacrifice. You know, I, I always notice that you handle yourself a little bit differently, and um, I was always curious as to why. Well, you know, we, if you want to explore this more, we get together on Tuesdays at my place, cake and coffee, a couple of us, and we talk about some of these things. And would you want to maybe come and join us sometime? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. I'd, I'd be happy to join you. Let me know. Great. So that was obviously an idealistic scenario, but hopefully it looked a little different than the last one.